0: Nam तस्सा पार्थो अंतो आराहतो असमा संबुद्धसाम नमो So there was, uh, <clears throat> most of you will have uh, observed and felt uh, summer's arrived at last, it's uh, June and uh, weather's improving sun's, well there's a lot of rain as well but there's also lots of sun we've seen these days we've been to spend most of our time trying to keep on top of the massive growth of weeds and flowers and Grass and things down at the lake. So springs incredible, vigorous um, this year. My uh, I guess, my natural inclination at this this time of the year would be to head off walking, and uh, it's what we used to do in, in the eighties. It was uh, different; these smaller batch monasteries would shut down for about a month this time of year, and we'd all head off walking for about a month. And, uh, work with, try not to fall out with each other. And it's much more difficult. We probably found yourselves much more difficult, um, not falling out when you're on the road. It's, uh, something about walking and staying out that uh, can, can brings up all sorts of issues. Like, uh, which way do we go left or right? <laughs> How many opinions can you have in a group? But, uh, <clears throat> That was in the 80s. These days, uh, things have changed. It seems like the summertime is, uh, the monasteries tend to be quite busy in the summer. So we, this is, we tend to stay at home. And, uh, these days it seems to the winter. The winter is actually the quieter time. That's when we're not doing so much work. So that's more of a natural time to go out walking. And, uh, this year I head, headed out in February and I'm I'm experimenting with a new style of uh, Tudong we call it, the pilgrimage Tudong is the Pali name and as I'm getting older my back's not very good so I experimenting with uh, taking less and less so rather than carrying heavy sleeping bags and camping gear and tents to so just uh, go walking with a raincoat and a, a uh, ground sheet and walk until I'm off shelter, and uh, the inspiring and, and interesting thing is that uh, you do, you get offered shelter by people who aren't even Buddhists, and just people can respond to the robe and the bowl. Yeah. So this this February I walked to, went on arms round in Darris Hall, and was offered a, a room in Newcastle, and then the next day I walked through Newcastle towards Durham. I, I uh, <clears throat> particular walk I like to do is walking from here to Durham Cathedral. It's a traditional pilgrimage route. The, uh, the, uh, part of the, the reason for that is St. Cuthbert's body is in, is in uh, Durham Cathedral, but it's, it's actually the reason the whole town is there. His, his body was reputed to have healing powers. So people used to walk pilgrimage when they were ill in the Middle Ages, and most of them would become healed. But uh, I think part of the reason for that is that people lived in quite smoky houses and a lot of the illnesses were, were respiratory, they had to do with the lung problems. So going out for a walk in the fresh air actually healed most of the diseases. But um, be that may, it seems like St. Cuthbert did have some kind of healing ability when he was alive and uh, that's practice belief carried on after he died. So, um, second night, I wasn't offered any shelter, so I uh, kept walking to keep warm. And uh, got to Durham, knocked on the door, and uh, came and turned around and went on arms round, third day in uh, Chester Street. And uh, somebody, not, not a Buddhist, very kindly offered me a room near Chester Street, Harrington, near Halton Spring. Then on the fourth day, I went on arms round in a place called Shiny Row, which is interesting. It's a kind of a can- traditional county Durham mining village that's, uh, there's no work there anymore. So it's, uh, a lot of the houses are quite boarded up. It's quite a rough place. <coughs> standing on arms round in front of a pound land, or uh, no, a cost cutter, I think it was. And the, um, there's this. Quite a rough fellow was standing against the wall looking at me, and after a few minutes came up to me and said, You're not going to get anything here, mate. <laughs> and uh, li- literally a few seconds after that, somebody came up with a rose, had a rosary around his neck and gave me four sausage rolls. And then the family came up and gave me meat pies and sandwiches and fruit. And so uh, <clears throat> after Shiny Row, I went on to Washington and didn't, didn't find a place nobody well i don't ask people i wait for people to offer and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and that night they didn't so i uh, did walk in meditation in a cemetery to keep warm and, and uh, rested in shifts under a leylandii tree they offer good shelter in the in the winter leylandii trees then the next day was a sunday isn't, which isn't a good day for alms round because the shops are shut but by good fortune, somebody, uh, offered me a veget hot vegetarian meal in a cafe. So, and then Sunday night, somebody offered me a place to stay. So, uh, that time um, I was, I was a bit tired. So I went to, to get my, collect my camping gear and on, on the way met a kind couple of joggers, Adrian, who offered me a cup of tea and then uh, picked up my camping stuff, which I did in, in the barn. And went up to kill the forest. And on the way there was offered shelter a few times. Met a Christian hermit, uh, yeah. retired abbot. Spent 12 years as an abbot and, and retired to become a hermit. That's the Benedictine tradition. You just do your 12 years and then you can become a hermit. So. And the, the reason I go to the forest is, is that, well, one reason it's the biggest forest in England, so there's lots of space. The other reason is the six um bothies up there which are old shepherds cottages that have good roofs and, and a stove in them. And uh, I spent three weeks up, up there and uh, went on arms round in Holt Whistle, Hayden Bridge Bellingham, but it's quite far from the, the bothies to the town so I would go every other day. And uh, But then the People in Hot Whistle for some reason. Hot Whistle's I think probably the seems to be the kindest, most generous place. People there but almost bury you with food for some reason. And uh, also they <coughs> started coming out to the Bothy on, on my days off when I was expecting to fast. They'd show up and bring food. They'd drive out to the Bothy and bring food there on some days. Other days, farmhouses in the forest I was invited into a couple of places for cooked. Brunch a couple of times and turned out it wasn't, uh, that hard after all. In people were very supportive. You can, you can quite easily, as a monk, live in this country and, and rely on people, non Buddhists, just, just people around for offers of shelter and, and food. And one of the, um, <clears throat> other reasons that I like to go to, to kill the forest is the, the, apart from the bothes and the warm stoves is the space it's a very spacious place and very quiet and the uh, if you have a sound meter there are places in the forest where you record absolutely zero decibels completely silent spots in the forest and also at night here the, the stars are quite good you can see a lot of stars here at Harnham. but if you go to Keel, the Forest on a clear night it's stunning your mind just stops there's thousands and thousands of stars totally clear sky, no artificial light. The um, one one thing the Buddha recommended uh, for our our meditation practice is it's good sometimes to to go to these uh, quiet places, these places where there's lots of space, where there's uh, emptiness, and there's not people there, there's there's not a lot of activity or busyness, so completely open, spacious, Empty places, roots of a tree, or an empty hut, or forest. <clears> then, <throat> in a place like that, where there's no nothing happening, then your your mind can start to get used to this perception, or externally as an external perception of emptiness. Then you can you can dwell on that. That's a kind of meditation object. Just being in in a quiet forest where there's nobody around, nothing happening, and just meditating on the perception of emptiness. The, uh, <clears throat> and then also the, um, Buddha also recommended bringing that inwards, an uh, inward experience of, of, uh, emptiness. And the, um, <clears throat> this word emptiness, I mean, in sometimes it can have slightly negative connotations. The, the Pali word is, uh, sunyata. And the, uh, you could translate it as openness, spaciousness. Transparency—they don't quite—but in the, in terms of the meaning, e- emptiness. If you understand it in a positive way, it's it's the right meaning. But it's the, the danger with that word is it also in English has negative connotations. The um, <clears throat> but the way to to establish this spaciousness, this transparency, this openness, this emptiness, sunyata in, internally. Is the Buddha recommended one of the best meditation objects? Is the mindfulness of breathing, which is the uh, if you can keep your mind on the physical sensation of breathing over over a period of time, then the mind goes goes quiet. The um, <clears throat> one in, one of the important ingredients of that quietness is is finding joy. One uh, if one's not finding joy through breathing just the physical sensation of breathing then it's important to find a subject or or something to think about that does bring joy there's all sorts of things like that so some people contemplating the Buddha or his disciples, enlightened disciples the fact that he taught the fact that when he taught people got enlightened you can find different subjects the Sangha, the Dhamma Bhavana, loving kindness sympathetic joy Compassion, there are many ways to reflect that bring joy into the mind. and If we can find a way of enjoying the physical sensation of breathing and find a theme that brings joy into the mind, then the mind, quite happily, stops thinking. It's a the Papancha is the word for proliferation, mental proliferation in that. And uh, through meditation we can find a way for that to stop, for it to gradually cease and find a, a kind of peacefulness in, in our minds so that's a kind of a <clears throat> internal emptiness is there it's being empty of thinking empty of thoughts and, and the uh <clears throat> when our mind is more peaceful in, in that way then there's a third kind of sunyata third kind of emptiness which is when we start to look at the uh, nature of our experience and when we're breathing in and breathing out physical sensation of breathing in and breathing out then we can start to notice what what that is moment by moment there's this physical sensation is a sense impression arising in in awareness and the overlay what we are, the whole world that we overlay on top of that when the mind's quiet we can see we don't have to add all that there's just the physical sensation of breathing in and breathing out and that's just so it's just the way it is and we can do the same with um sight we can sometimes open our eyes and meditate on on the, what we see and see how that's a sense impression it's it's an impression that's just hanging in the space of awareness it just arises and what we add to that is an addition it's, it's the, how our minds work we add all sorts onto our experience we can look at sound in the same way see that's a sense impression arising in the mind and see what we add onto that and then with um thinking as well we can see think thoughts arising in the mind thoughts arise and cease and we add a whole world of ad- additional problems onto that but thinking is just thinking it's just just the way it is so that's a different type of emptiness, it's a perception of uh, insubstantiality, or not-self. It's when you start to see the nature of seeing here and smelling, tasting, touching for, for what it is. You start to see that it's transparent, it's empty, it's in, insubstantial. And the problems we create of that are problems that we create. It's the, the additions, everything that we add on to that. It's the whole realm of suffering that, that we do, that we don't necessarily need to do. <clears throat> So the, um, <clears throat> now talking in this way about, about shonita, about emptiness, openness, transparency, insubstantiality, spaciousness, the, we're very, it's like we're talking about the mountain peak, you know, a bit right at the top. And the thing about a mountain is that you can't have the mountain peak without the rest of it, you have to have the base and in, in Buddhist practice there's <clears throat> as well as talking about the peaks we also talk about the troughs you know, if you're going to travel from one peak to the next peak you have to go through the valley there's the, you, have to, you sometimes end up <clears throat> wading through marshes and uh, cutting your way through thick undergrowth and for quite some time you might not see the peak anymore you're just wading through the thick undergrowth stuck in the marshes and the silt and the mud and uh might be some time before you see the peak again, but if if one is committed to to uh finding um, the peak, then you have to be willing to go through the troughs and the valleys and the structure of a mountain or, or a pyramid is you don't have a the peak without the base you have to have the base and the uh <clears throat> in our lives there's a lot more to our lives than the perception of emptiness as a whole. our lives are full of all sorts and the uh, I was talking today the um <clears throat> Like, uh, our relationships, the work that we do, all these basic things. These are the basic building blocks of life. This is like the base of the mountain. And you don't get the peak without the base. You can't live on emptiness. You, know, you need, uh, relationships, friendships, work, and so on. And all, all the other factors of the Eightfold Path. So there's the, uh, right speech. You know, we we need to be, Talking in a skillful, mindful way with our friends, our relatives. We need to, to know how to do that. Right action. We need to, to know in, in our homes, with our families, at work. We need to know how to be acting in a, in a skillful way. A kind, gentle, skillful way. And then uh, <clears throat> livelihood. The, the, the work that we have, that's crucial. You know, If we're doing something unskillful, then that can have a very strong effect on, on our hearts and minds. Some skillful work doesn't necessarily, this isn't, livelihood doesn't necessarily, not talking about necessarily paid work. There's all sorts of other activities, hobbies that we have or things that we volunteer for. There's uh, our activity, what we fill our life with is, it's crucial in our spiritual practice. And these, uh, if, if these are in place, if our, uh, the way we're talking, with the people that we live with or people that we come across, the way we're acting around the people we live with and the people we come across and the work, activities, hobbies that we do. If that's, if that's all balanced in, in place, then the activity of practice of supporting our minds in a skillful space, learning how to maintain a wholesome mind state, learning how to let go of unskillful mind states, then they have a foundation. They have a support and uh, if uh, if all these things are in place, then we can start to learn to be mindful. So we can't be mindful in a, in a vacuum. The uh, all our activities, friends, work, relationships. when uh, I mean all that and all that's in place, and then when we we learn how to maintain the mind in a skillful space, we learn how not to get sucked into the, our self-generated negativity. Then we can learn to be mindful. You can start to learn to, this practice that we were doing tonight, just sitting, you can start to learn to be mindful of our bodies, mindful of our feelings, mindful of our thoughts. All that has a, a base, has a foundation. And then from that, from that mindfulness, that's what leads on to this peacefulness. If if we have a foundation in our lives that can help support us being Mindful of our body, I mean that's just <clears throat> three words isn't it? four words mindful of the body that's just four words, isn't it? It's very easy to say, but to do it that's that's actually it's a lifetime's practice it's a lifetime's activity. It's like somebody who's learning a, a musical instrument. you don't learn it in one day. you can people who have been playing musical instruments are still learning years later, the same with the mindfulness of the body It's just four words but it's actually an art that uh, one's learning anew and afresh every day. Especially in our culture, it tends to be quite disembodied; tend to be quite up in our heads. So, uh, for a lot of us, learning to be mindful of the body is is a, it's an ongoing lifetime project, and that's the base <coughs> of our practice: so being mindful of what we're doing during the day, the posture that we're in, the washing up, the uh, Standing at the bus stop, all these different things and and then, when we sit to meditate, we're doing the same thing we're not doing something new we 're just carrying on being mindful of the body and uh, mindful of the physical sensation of breathing, and then finding a way for the mind to go quiet, finding a way of enjoying, just sitting, just breathing, maybe having a picking up a theme that brightens the mind, and then finding a way for the mind to go quiet and then And then when the mind's quiet, we can reflect on this strange situation, peculiar situation we're in. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, emoting, this thing that's taken for granted. We can actually start to to look at it and see it for what it is. Just just as it is. And then this quiet mind state that we're in, this... In turn, we can start to understand a bit more about how it is that we create so much of our problems and, and suffering. The, uh, we can start to understand the how, uh, if we act and speak in an unskillful way, we start to notice the consequences. And if we think in an unskillful way, we start to notice the consequences. We start to see that the way that we might blame the world or somebody else. Perhaps start to see how we're creating our own suffering by thinking in that way, and the <clears throat> and this uh, insight or perception of emptiness, insight into emptiness, that's uh, one one side of practice. But the um, four noble truths, understanding the four noble truths, a lot of it happens on a, on a completely different level. Really, there's the uh, the awareness, as well as having this dimension of seeing or insight, perception, awareness also has a dimension of feeling, feeling our suffering. And A lot of the real work, or the real insight, happens when we're down in the troughs, we're wading through the marshes, fighting through the undergrowth, we can't see the peak anymore. But the way we relate to our suffering, the this dimension of feeling awareness, which is normally quite blocked, or stunted, or closed down, uh, if we can learn to use our suffering, the difficult times when we're wading through the marshes, fighting our way through the undergrowth if we can learn to feel life in a different way learn to feel life in a a way whereby we, we see it for what it is, it's a lesson but the reason we've come back here, the reason we're here is we still need to learn this lesson and we're kind of thrown down into our sufferings, our difficulties, our struggles, wading through the marsh for a reason. It's because we haven't let go. We need to feel whatever it is that we're going through. We need to feel it fully and accurately. And then, when we do that, the heart starts to learn bit by bit to to let go. But it's uh, for most of us, it's a long process. That's why we're still here. If, if some people get enlightened just hearing the, the the word of the buddha very quickly but the reason we're still here is is that we need to, we haven't learned yet we need to learn and the way we learn is by feeling the first noble truth feeling the suffering that we create feeling how our hearts blocked constricted how we're resisting and then learning to be how to open up so this this uh, emptiness a perception of emptiness that's that's if you like that's the peak but part of that is is learning in the heart to to open up so that uh, experience of spaciousness transparency starts to find its way into the heart so that we we can feel life we can feel our suffering without resisting it so much without being thrown around by it so much and the uh, that doesn't happen by if you're like know, dismissing life, there can be <clears throat> a temptation, can't there? if you've had a few insights into uh, not self and emptiness, you, one can start to uh, try to sidestep the, the suffering, the difficult times, but actually that, that's the main lesson the uh, insight into emptiness is actually it's, it's a call for our hearts to open. It's the heart needs to learn to open. And be spacious, spacious enough to actually experience our lives fully as they are with all the the suffering and difficulty and challenge. So I think I'll stop there, offer you those uh, words of reflection.